blessings, all my 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 blessings. I need my blessings every penny, daily counting every single one. I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat. I'd like to open today with just a few thoughts on the Will Smith, Chris Rock Oscars moment on Sunday. Chris Rock, of course, tasked with hosting nearly the four-hour-long event, which has had viewership plummet over the past few years. Nearly half as many viewers, 50% drop in viewership the past just handful of years. Will Smith on the docket, favored to win Best Actor, which would have been his first Oscar for Best Actor, for his role in King Richard as Venus and Serena's father in the biographical film. And of course, Chris Rock, as he does, roasting the audience, the role set for him as a comedian on this stage. And the entire audience knows what they are in for. This is nothing new to this type of award show or performance. Chris Rock actually makes a misogynist joke just prior to making a joke about Jada's hair to husband and wife duo Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz, with the duo being up for Best Actor and Best Actress, respectively. He states that if she loses, that he can't win. He's praying that Will Smith wins Best Actor over him, referring to the fact that if Penelope loses Best Actress, that Javier can't win Best Actor because she'll be jealous kind of drawing a connection that she can't control, you know, it's a jealousy thing. She's a woman, she's a wife, she can't control her jealousy, drawing that connection. So it's actually a misogynist joke. And then he makes the comment immediately after. Now those those two both laughed at it, Penelope and Javier. They seem to uh, get in on that joke, which is fine. It wasn't a great joke at all. But for the audience there, they seem to humor him. Humor his humor, if you will. And then he makes the comment to Jada about seeing her in the next G.I. Jane. Now you can all watch the video about what happens next. Jada doesn't appreciate it. You can clearly see on her face that she does not appreciate the joke. As horrible as it was, as used, reused as it is, as ridiculous as it is. Will is laughing at first. Obviously, our view is the audience is cut away. Next thing, we see Will Smith walking up the steps to the stage. Chris Rock seems surprised, as he should be. And he actually stands there with his hands behind his back as Will hauls off and smacks him. Clubs him pretty good. And very shocking to everyone, including Chris. Will then goes back to his seat sits down, looks infuriated, continues to yell at Chris from the audience to keep his wife's name out of his fucking mouth. And Chris just says, dude. (laughs) And uh, he continues to try and give out the award uh, for best documentary after that, after stumbling around a little bit. And everyone looks shocked. We see all the memes of everyone's face now. And it is just stunning. Nothing happens. We have accounts now that 
Denzel Washington tried to calm him down later, as did other folks. And Will Smith then wins Best Actor later on. He comes up, he apologizes to everyone but Chris, and he kind of morphs what was originally supposed to be his acceptance speech with a kind of audible and apologizing for the incident in a way and explaining all the tough times that he's had the past few years and his marriage and rolling in his character from the movie as Venus and Serena's father and this really weird acceptance speech that in the end was nonsensical and confusing and twisted and the Serena sisters, excuse me, the William sisters were both there to the side of the stage, both watching him. So he finally won his Oscar and he just made a mockery of himself, unfortunately. Now, of course, anyone that's paid any attention, intentional or otherwise, knows that, of course, Will Smith is more or less in an open marriage. And him and his wife brought this topic to the wide world a little over a year ago and explained this openly to the world. Her relationship with August Alsina that actually sounded exploitive and how he was a troubled young man and how she initially tried to help him and turned it into a sexual relationship and there are rumors of other relationships and it just really turned into a mess and really brought a lot of questions into the table for their marriage both from an outsider's perspective and apparently looking in on what their relationship is as it looked great sitting there as they kissed each other and hugged but when a non-related joke comes up and he's smacking people on stage that raises a lot of questions now we have a number of details about the incident since this happened several days ago jada suffers from alpecia which causes her to lose her hair and it was a terrifying incident for her that's why she's bald and that's why the joke we'll see in gi jane which was a, a bald female lead in a movie that's why she was a target for that joke a joke as it was, a very thin joke as it was. Of course, the intermarital jokes have been going around since long after the rumors, and then they brought their relationship to the public spotlight, then made it more confusing as they gave more details on the Red Table Talk show, which is hosted by Jada and her daughter Willow but will always be remembered for these intense conversations between Will and Jada about their marriage and all these extramarital relations and these intense conversations. And of course that was a topic for conversation and it's unfortunate, but now it's being acted out against other parties outside parties almost when it should be resolved within the marriage. And that 
was not covered at all in this Grammys. It was nearly a joke. And the Will Smith's speech, his acceptance speech, talking about having to fight against outside forces and mentioning having to fight against ridicule the past couple years. That's what he was referring to. And we know that now, of course. But that's what that whole night was about. And it's all overshadowed by the slap. And that's how this Oscars will be remembered for those that remembered it all, not the best actor award that Will Smith finally received as one of the most likable folks in Hollywood. But it will be the Oscar where he slapped the shit out of Chris Rock over a relatively harmless comment, harmless joke that everyone subjects themselves to when they go there and especially sit in the front row. And it will be completely overshadowed by that and kind of changes the view. I have, and I think folks in general have, on Will Smith. Now, it was also reported that his his agent talked to him in between the slap and receiving the award about kind of editing his speech. And that's why it ended up kind of convoluted. And he quoted Tenzel Washington stating that when you're at your highest point, that's when the devil comes for you, and that's not verbatim what he said, but pretty close. Well, the only devil that's there is the one that himself and Jada invited in. And that was the strange, twisted marriage issue. Not twisted, they have the right to do what they want, but when they invited everyone else into bed with them, so to speak, to give their opinions, and then allowed that to shape their thoughts... That's the devil. They let that in. That was no no one else's outside, you know, impact. They chose to let that impact them to the point where then making a harmless comment relatively caused him to then walk up on stage and slap somebody. Hit somebody, really. Not closed fist, but walloped him. Jim Carrey weighed in on one of the most meaningful opinions on CBS Mornings, and he stated that the whole incident sickened him, that Hollywood was spineless, that the standing ovation that he still received when receiving the award, he wasn't, you know, Jim wasn't thrilled by that, and that he would have sued Will for $200 million as a number that he threw out, because Chris Rock declined to press any charges. And I personally am on the same boat. Would Will Smith have been removed after the incident if he wasn't nominated and favored and known by the Academy to be stepping up to the podium soon to accept his first Oscar as Best Actor? A major, major accomplishment that put him in the likes of Denzel Washington and many, many others. Denzel, of course, a key pillar. He was flashed to many, many times and was referenced in Will's speech. After the Oscars, Will Smith was seen at a club, dancing with his Oscar, singing all the words to getting jiggy with it and enjoying himself. He did release an apology on Instagram the following day. Long, lengthy paragraph, multiple paragraphs, run-on paragraphs, if you will, which is all fine and dandy, but I think we need to check on him, see if he's okay, and reevaluate 
privilege and how we handle some of these violent incidents and mental health. And I think it's just a sad reminder of that. But I hope Will Smith is able to get the help he needs and, uh, and figure it out. And boy, do we have a final four that no one expected. Gonzaga is gone. Arizona is gone. And we're down to one number one seed, and that is Kansas. And we have blue bloods all over. Eight seed UNC will be matching up against number two seed Duke. Although seedings don't much matter anymore. The first time that these two have ever met in the NCAA tournament. And we also have Kansas playing Villanova. On the other side, to meet in the national championship. How did we get here? Well, in the Sweet 16, number one seed Gonzaga in the West dropped out to Arkansas. And their furious defense pressure, although there are a lot of questionable fouls and questionable refereeing along the way, that pushed Chet Holmgren right out of the game. He fouled out. With plenty of time left, he only played 23 minutes in this game, finished with 11 points and 14 rebounds and a couple blocks in 23 minutes. Drew Timmy had 25 points, 7 rebounds, but this team shot 37% from the field, 23% from three, and the Razorbacks still not a great shooting performance, which would ultimately end their run against Duke, but they did manage to end the Bulldogs and hold them to 68 points. 74 to 68 was the final. I do not understand some of the hate that Gonzaga is getting after being pushed out uh, as one of the favorites to win this title. 10 straight years. They've won 28 or more games. They haven't had double-digit losses for 12 years. And they haven't lost, uh, you know, outside of the Sweet 16 in, I don't know, I think eight years at this point. So this team continues to run up accolades, run up the wins, and this that they, you know, narrative that they can't beat any good teams is just absurd. I mean, we're looking at a, a North Carolina team right now that hasn't even beaten the quality schedule that Gonzaga has this year, and we have this crazy tweet going around that St. Peter's has actually beaten more one, two, and three seeds in the past twenty years than Gonzaga has. But still, in context, the Bulldogs' run for the past two decades matched up against most other schools except maybe the four remaining in this exact tournament is almost unprecedented against any other program. So it is absolutely wild, some of the ridiculous comments from just casual basketball fans, and I call them casual. There's no real factual, you know, quality opinions put behind these thoughts, these words that Gonzaga is not a quality basketball team and not a quality program. But the Bulldogs' success has been tremendous. They still need a national championship. But their run can't be challenged other than maybe a couple handful of teams' tops that have actually captured national championships and could really stake a claim. Now, Duke knocked off Texas Tech, the three seed, 
in a game that was supposed to be very close, and indeed was very close. Texas Tech led at the half, and Duke really kicked it into another gear. They hadn't shown a lot of urgency at key points in the season, certainly not against North Carolina and Coach K's final home game, certainly not in the ACC tournament, which a lot of teams supposedly may not take as seriously, but was still important at the time for Duke and seeding purposes. They could have possibly, possibly pushed for a number one seed, although the two line, questionable at the time, now seems pretty appropriate. Again, more turnovers than their opponent. They lost that 10-8 to against Texas Tech, and they lost the rebounding edge as well. But the young group looks solid. Banchero rolled up 22 points and led all scorers. All five scored in the double digits, and they were able to pull away from the Red Raiders late. Duke also managed to just blast Arkansas. Didn't have a whole lot of problems here. They led 45 to 33 at the half. They're actually outscored in the second half, but won by nine points, 78 to 69. Again, Arkansas's offense, a problem all year. 30% from three, just under 42% from the field. And Duke shot almost 55% from the field, 40% from three, although they only had 10 attempts. Again, they lost the turnover edge, 15 to 11 but they led by 18 points at one point in this game. And the young group just looks steady. This looks like a real team. Bunchero scored 16 and had seven boards. A.J. Griffin actually led with 18 points. And this group just had it rolling here. Their opponent will be North Carolina out of the Midwest. And the Tar Heels were down 31-28 to to UCLA at the half. Bruins actually fielded a healthy team, and the Tar Heels just blasted them in the second, outscoring them 45-35. to 35. Although this game, neither team had a lead in the double digits on either side. Tar Heels clearly won the rebounding battle. And Caleb Love, the point guard, shot lights out 30 points, 11 of 24 shooting. So not extremely efficient, but he hit six threes. And this group shot just under 33% from three, almost 41% from the field. And UCLA actually had better percentages, 45% from the field and 35% from three. But the Tar Heels hit more threes, had more rebounds, shot a better percentage from the free throw line, and Backcock again. 14 points, 15 rebounds, eight of them offensive rebounds. And the Tar Heels, in the end, rolled away from UCLA. And they played St. Peter's, who beat Purdue 67-48 to in order to advance to the Elite Eight, the first time a 15th seed had ever advanced that far as well. And again, great execution. Jaden Ivey had a shot to tie the game up at the very end, and he was not able to get it to go down. Purdue actually led 33-29 to at the half, so St. Peter's did have to hang on and pull through in the second half. They only shot 42% from the field, just under 23% from three. They held Purdue to 28% shooting from three, 
just under 40% from the field. Numbers were ballpark the same. The Peacocks just executed and stunned Purdue. Again, they flustered the interior forces there of Williams and Edie. A great group. They out-rebounded the Peacocks by 11 and a 37-26 edge. And college basketball, man, Peacocks were managed, managed to advance there. And then the Tar Heels, as what often happens when a great ride comes to an end, just put their heels down. 69-49 was the final, and this game was not even close. Peacock shot 30% from the field, 25% from three. Tar Heels 41% from the field, 27% from three. So actually, again, great defense by St. Peter's, but couldn't execute offensively against this group. Back hot again, 20 points, 22 rebounds, eight of them offensive. Caleb Love, 14 points. Manic, 19 and 8. And it'll be the Tar Heels and the Dukies meeting for a chance at the national championship game. North Carolina, of course, beat Duke in Coach K's final home game, embarrassing the great legend. And North Carolina is in with their 21st appearance, the most, by any school in college basketball history. Now, while the Zags were losing in the Sweet 16, that same evening, Mark Few's buddy, Tommy Lloyd, who took the job at Arizona, was having a much similar experience with his number one seeded Arizona Wildcats. And they had a tough time against TCU, having to survive that game in overtime. And they ultimately fell to the fifth seeded Houston Cougars. Again, a team not projected to go anywhere near that far in the tournament due to early season injuries, but the Cougs defense held Arizona to only 60 points. That was, I don't even remember, I don't have the number in front of me, 20, 30 points below the season average for Arizona. They struggled to defend in the interior, and the Wildcats went down hard. They only shot 33% from the field and just under 32% from three. And Houston shot 46% from the field, 45% from three, 68% from the free throw line is a little bit uh, disconcerting, but they wouldn't make it past the next round anyways. And the Wildcats, year one under Tommy. Great run, but just not able to even grab a lead in this game. 12 points, biggest lead for Houston, and the win margin here, as the Cougars also win on the boards. And this was really just a dominating performance all the way through for Houston, and one would certainly be proud of. Now, they would come up short against Villanova in the Sweet 16. The Wildcats, Villanova Wildcats, knocked off the Michigan Wolverines 63-55. to This was actually a, just a miserable shooting performance by both squads, but Villanova hit a few more threes and a few more free throws. Hunter Dickinson for Michigan finished with 15 points and 15 rebounds. He's only 6 for 16 shooting, unfortunately. Villanova's Gillespie, Colin Gillespie, was 4 for 10 from 3, 4 for 14 from the field altogether. Not a great shooting night, had 12 points. Moore had 15. The leading scorer was Samuels with 22 and the squad managed to pull it out on 37% shooting from the field, 30% from three. Now, in the next round, 
I hope you were betting overs because Villanova-Houston was a 50-44 to final. Again, horrible shooting day by both squads. Houston hit one three-pointer. They were one for 20. They were 15 for 57 from the field. That's just under 30% altogether. And they're actually only 64% from the free throw, free throw line as well, 9 for 14. Villanova, 20, just about 24% from three, less than 30% from the field. Hit all 15 free throws, though, and managed to pull this game out. Now, the biggest problem was Justin Moore tore his Achilles tendon and will be out. He was the team's second leading scorer on the year, averaging just under 15 points, just under five boards per game. That is a big problem for the Wildcats moving forward. Although Colin Gillespie, oh boy, Colin Gillespie is obviously the leading scorer, and Jermaine Samuels has been the leading scorer for the past couple games, the 6'7 senior forward. So this team will be completely void of scores, but they will be down one option, and that will certainly hinder them a bit moving forward. And finally, in whatever region we have left, because it doesn't matter much at this point, the Midwest region, we have the number one seed Kansas Jayhawks, the only number one seed still remaining, and they had a pretty easy path to get here, all things considered. And they knocked off the Providence Friars in the Sweet 16, 66 to 61. The Providence Friars, again, according to Ken Palm, one of the luckiest schools in the country. Now, this was a close game for quite a while. Uh, Kansas did lead 26 to 17. In the first half, that was horrible, horrible, uh, boring basketball. Providence actually outscored them 44-40 to in the second half, so it was not exciting at all, but at no point did you really feel that Kansas was necessarily going to pull away. Actually, I felt quite the opposite, that the Providence Friars could not possibly shoot any worse as you watched the first 20 minutes of the game and just wanted to gouge your eyes out. These teams combined were 6 for 37 from three. That's atrocious. And Kansas shot just under 40% from the field. Providence just under 34%. Uh, even the free throw numbers, 68%, 71%. Uh, just terrible, terrible, terrible basketball here. Fires struggled to get to the free throw line at all. They finished uh, with 16 attempts in Kansas, almost 30 28 attempts total, and uh, I, I couldn't, couldn't tell you exactly how they won this game uh, because it was played, I guess. This is just atrocious basketball. But Kansas, 66-61 to over Providence. And in the next round, in a rather bland Elite Eight, they added to that blandness by punching out the Miami Hurricanes, 76-50. to the Hurricanes only scored 15 points in the second half in a 47-15 to 15 stretch there in the second half of that game. It's really not worth reviewing. Miami couldn't hang with the Jayhawks there. They were out-rebounded 41-28 to 28 and had three more turnovers. It's just out of control. Out of control. Of course, the Cyclones and the Hurricanes, Iowa State, and Miami met in the Sweet 16. So we knew we were getting a double-digit seed to advance there. Two teams that had 
great stories. Miami had never made it past the Sweet 16, so it was a great run for them to the Elite Eight. Iowa State, of course, basically rebuilt the team with transfers after two wins last season, a 2-21 and season. But the offense ultimately failed them in the Miami game. And here we have Kansas knocking off 16-seed Texas Southern, knocking off Creighton, who was short a player, knocking off Providence, who had a great run this year, all things considered, but beat two double-digit seeds and their own right to make it to the Sweet 16. And then they knocked off the Miami Hurricanes here, and they'll be playing Villanova. Now, these games will be Saturday. 6.09 is the tip time for Kansas and Villanova, followed by the 8.49 time for North Carolina and Duke. Of course, they'll get the late time slot. Storylines here. Of course, Justin Moore out for Villanova. And the Wildcats have won three of the past six national championships with there being no tournament in 2020. And that is a massive, underreported, as far as I'm concerned, storyline. Jay Wright has to be, and there are many great coaches, even the small school coaches that are not recognized, coaches that aren't wearing national championship rings, They're making great headway at small schools in terms of on-the-field performance and recruiting and winning conference tournaments and making the NCAA tournament or even making the NIT. You see St. Peter's this this season. Shaheen Holloway has officially been hired as Seton Hall's next coach. That is now official. It's possible that he might be one of the best coaches in the country next season. And we like to attribute that to championships, but sometimes you have to attribute that to performance relative to expectation based on school, based on talent around you, what you're able to bring in, what you're able to cultivate based on circumstance. But even in saying that, Jay Wright will have a shot to go for three out of six. And that is crazy. But standing in his way here, is a Kansas squad that has less hardware than you may think. Yes, they've won the Big 12 16 times under Bill Self, who's been there 17 years. They've been to the Final Four 16 times altogether, but only four times in 17 years under Bill Self. 2008, 2012, 2018, and 2022. And he only won one national championship that 2008 year. Previous championships in 1988, 1952, and they claimed championships in 1922 and 1923. So five altogether, the last being 14 years ago. So although Kentucky is a blue blood, Claims lots of Final Fours, lots of NBA players, lots of Big 12 success. You can see how Jay Wright and Villanova have a chance to really jump them, I think, in the national conversation of elite programs. Because I don't think that they're quite in that conversation already. Villanova, of course, has the famous 1985 National Championship to go with the 16 and 18 
So if they won this season, it would be their fourth. They have final fours, seven of them. Most of them coming under Jay Wright. This is his fourth final four with this team. This school, I should say. So a great run here by Jay Wright. North Carolina Tar Heels, of course. 21 final fours, six national championships. The most recent in the past 20 years, of course. 2005, 2009, 2017. Prior to that, we had the 1957. Of course, we all remember that one. 1982 and 1993 championships. Duke is basically Mike Krzyzewski. That's basically what all of their reference pages are. But five national championships for Mike Krzyzewski and the Blue, Duke Blue Devils. The 91 and 92 championships back-to-back, -back, of course. Then a large gap before the 2001 national championship. Then again in 2010 and 2015. Altogether, 13 of the 17 Duke Final Fours have been under Mike Krzyzewski. Currently, betting odds have Duke as the favorite to win the national championship, followed closely by Kansas. And then there's a little breathing room between uh, them and Villanova, followed lastly by North Carolina. And really, I think it's anyone's game. I do like Duke to beat North Carolina. I think that's going to be a very emotional game and a chance for them to kind of continue this crazy Coach K run and really... All of Duke's players have stepped up in this run. They haven't really laid a dud. Of course, uh, uh, Paulo Banquero has really stepped it up, and he's making some crazy passes in addition to scoring and his, his facilitating the rest of his teammates has really been wild. Uh, of course, Mark Williams, Wendell Moore Jr., and Griffin as well, all stepping up to be productive scorers, and there's been no whiffs. Multiple games shooting over 50%. So I really like Duke to beat North Carolina, even though RJ Davis, Caleb Williams, Badcock, Armando Badcock stepping up as well. I like the Dukies to advance to the national championship and probably win it. I don't have a lot of confidence in Kansas and the travels and getting all the way to the national championship game, which sounds crazy. David McCormack, of course, one of the top stars. Um, Egbachi will be in the lottery for next year's NBA draft. But I don't think they're one of the strongest teams in the field. And actually, if Villanova was fully healthy, I think that they'd be maybe favored over Kansas. Colin Gillespie, obviously a star, which is what you need to continue to advance. Uh, and Jeremiah Samuels will need to step up. All these teams have only been playing seven guys, maybe eight, but Villanova losing a big one here. So I'm not sure that they'll quite be able to pull it out against Kansas. So I will be predicting a Kansas-Duke final with the Duke finishing the Coach K, Coach Krzyzewski run with another national championship. That'll be my projection. But I think we'll have three excellent games wrapping up. Of course, the two, the doubleheader with the Final Four on Saturday and the National Championship game, probably be late again here on the East Eastern time um, on Monday. Very excited. I understand, folks, that 
kind of get tired of the same teams winning over and over. But this is greatness right here. These are the best teams playing, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Very excited. I'll be back in just a couple days here, and we'll talk some of the NFL moves that are happening and the last week, I believe, last couple weeks here of the NBA season. All my blessings. All my blessings. All my blessings. I need my blessings every penny. Daily counting every single one. I'm seeing plenty. Level up and watch that beat turn into a